So I want to thank all of you for coming and supporting this event. And I'd also really like to thank UNLV for allowing us to use their facility, which is quite lovely, uh, however difficult to find. Uh, and uh, I want to thank uh, the folks who have been here volunteering, Linda and On and Ricky and all the people who are, these are, all these events that we do are put on with volunteers. So it's, uh, it's a labor of love for, for everyone. I'd like to thank, thank them for, for their help. They've been helping me all weekend. Uh, this, this presentation is a follow-on to what I presented about a year ago in Washington on uh, the deep national security state and the UFO and extraterrestrial issue. How many people saw that? And I'm just curious. So it's a good thing to look at. You may want to see it again in light of what I'm going to be sharing tonight. And what I want to share tonight is personally very difficult. And the reason it is, is that this uh, issue um, and this presentation will be the most difficult one I've done in 26 years. Uh, it will be very controversial. It's, uh, as in a trauma doctor, an emergency doctor, I tell people I'm accustomed to giving folks bad news. So this is very, very bad news. Um, and I'm not saying that to be at all melodramatic. I'm telling you what the truth is. And the only reason I'm doing this is that there have been information coming in pinging my system, uh, indicating that we're getting closer to the hoaxing of events to stampede the world into something that would make 9-11 look like a picnic. And there are a number of signs that have been mounting on this issue. Uh, over the last uh, six to nine months. And I'm gravely concerned about it. Uh, so for that reason, uh, without being able to say that anything is imminent, my philosophy has always been an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, and in this case, it's an ounce of prevention is worth uh, several billion planets worth of cure in terms of mass. Uh, because if we can do what we should tonight and get the word out about this to the president-elect, to the incoming director of central intelligence, to people in the Kremlin who are watching, to people all over the world, there's a chance we can avoid what I'm going to be discussing. So it's a bit like if you were to tell someone they have some signs for a massive heart attack, all right, and it's imminent. And you can do some things right now, prevent it. You can ignore it and have it and have a code blue where the heart stops and, you know, you have to be resuscitated. My goal here, using that medical analogy a little further, is to avoid the attack. And in this case, it would not be a, a medical emergency. It would be a national security and global emergency orchestrated by people who have been planning this since the 1950s. So what I'm going to be discussing is what in the parlance of the Pentagon, CIA, counterintelligence programs is known as a false INW, 
or a deceptive INW, or indication and warning. And some years ago, I had a meeting, as pop culture would call it false flag. Some years ago, I had a meeting with the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency and uh, General Patrick Hughes, and the focus of that briefing, which was quite extensive, was to give him information so that he would not be deceived in the event of a false or deceptive INW indication and warning dealing with the UFO and ET issue. As it turned out, the general had no knowledge of either the UFO issue, the extraterrestrial issue, or the fact that there was already a foot planned since the 1950s, a program, a longitudinal, long-term, multi-generational program to hoax a threat from outer space when there was none or is none. This was something that the general was very concerned about because prior to the meeting, I had sent a briefing through Courier to, to the general. He's a three-star. And he was uh, unaware of any of these issues. And he sort of mirrored what he said, uh, almost word for word, what the first uh, director of the CIA that I briefed uh, in 1993 said, and that is, I have made inquiries into this issue, but I have been provided no information. And at that point, he goes over to a, a, a bookshelf in the, in the uh, meeting room for the general, which is in the E-ring of the Pentagon, picks up a doll, a little E.T. doll, looks like one of those little things you get at a toy star store. And he held it up and he, he was with great anger, said, this is all I have gotten for my inquiries on the UFO issue. And it was, of course, people making fun of him. And I said, yes, that's typical. However, there are people on your senior staff who are permanently as assigned to this directorate, to you know, being the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, whereas the director rotates, just like the CIA director rotates. And they know about it, but they're not telling you because they want to keep you in the dark. At that instant, a full bird colonel who was at the briefing stiffened vis visibly and became quite agitated, but remained silent. And my military advisor and I afterwards compared notes and said, that man is the gatekeeper deceiving the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. Now that little vignette multiplied all throughout the dysfunction of governments around the world. And so you have people who often, you would think, who would have knowledge of these issues. And uh, it turns out they do not. And then there are other people who should have nothing to do with something this sensitive who are running the projects outside constitutional oversight of the president, the Congress, and their appointees, and of we, the people, most importantly. This is why Admiral Roscoe Hillenkeeter, the first CIA director when it was formed, in 1947, took the place of the OSS, said in a letter that the secrecy surrounding UFOs was a threat to the national security. This is why Eisenhower said the secrecy, unwarranted secrecy, is what he said, 
it could be a threat to our democracy and our way of life. And they were referring to this dynamic. So what we have to do as the people, and I'm a citizen, I mean, contrary to rumors, I don't do anything except pro bono free briefings for people in government when they ask me because they found out, oops, this stuff is true, who can I go to and find out what's really going on, and I'll be called into a briefing. But the, the problem is, in that vacuum of secrecy, extreme, illegal, unacknowledged special access projects, which is what they're called, at a compartmented level, I was talking to a, a gentleman today about this, at least 21 levels, compartments, past the level of the president. 21 levels. That you have a permanent infrastructure that has evolved or spun off from the legitimate government, but that is embedded within the corporate sector, the intelligence community, and the military sector, that is run amok viciously of our liberties and our freedoms, and have therefore been given no oversight or restraints so that they could set up a dynamic where they could hoax a, an alien attack on planet Earth. Now, this is going to be very complicated, and it's going to be the most complex presentation I've ever done. It's going to be intellectually dense, so we will take a break at the two-hour point, stretch our legs, come back for some question and answers, because it's going to be heavy stuff. Now, <laughs> I want to be really clear that when this I'm sharing is, I would not do it if I didn't think it could be avoided. I would just keep my mouth shut and retire. I think we can avert this. I think that we can avoid the heart attack, as it were, using the analogy I used earlier. And that's why I'm standing here before you. Otherwise, I would have given up on this in 1994 when I first learned of all, all of these issues. So in 1994, by that date, I had learned that there was a sub rosa, deep national security state operation, that had completely uh, gotten out of control so badly that when I brought this up to the general uh, who is in charge of the Defense Intelligence Agency, General Patrick Hughes, he said, yes, my father in the 60s knew of such a thing that had happened. We all thought he was a kook. We didn't believe him. He says, it wasn't until I got into this command as head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is almost as big as the CIA, maybe bigger, that's the Pentagon shop for intelligence versus CIA civilian. And he said to me that, the, uh, that his father uh, eventually committed suicide over this issue. So, <laughs> very heavy. I mean, this is 10 minutes into the briefing, this three-star general sharing this intimate and devastating fact. And I said, well, <laughs> I can understand that. You know, I mean, a lot of people have. So I said, but we can't, he said, and he said to me, he says, how have you stayed in this game? I said, I put my vision on the far horizon. And the far horizon is that we're going to make it through this in fits and starts, and we're going to have a new civilization begin on this planet, the hallmark of which is a peaceful planet on Earth living peacefully with these other planets. Now, to get from where we are now, which is that criti critical, criticality, we could call it medically, 
to get from criticality now to that point is going to be a very heavy lift. But he said to me, he said, well, I'm glad you have that hope um, because otherwise I don't know how you haven't eaten your gun. That's what he said. I said, well, <laughs> it's not my style anyway. But I said, but the point is, is that there's no point in despairing. Because what I have seen, and this is the part of me that's sort of the spirit warrior in my lucid dreams of the future, is a future where these issues have resolved. We have a peaceful civilization here. There's free energy running the planet. There's anti-gravity systems, so we move above the surface and don't need surface roads. Poverty has ended. There is complete economic and social justice in the world and a sustainable, clean planet that becomes a level one, as Michikaku would say, planet that can go forward and go into space peacefully. That's what I see happening. And within my lifetime, and I'm kind of an old guy now, so <laughs> when I started this project, I was 34, and I'm 61. So I, I point out to people, this has been you know, a 26, 27 year period of work um, and it pulled me out of my work as an emergency doctor because it was, I realized that we were in a global emergency. And that's why I left medicine. You get it? I mean, I went from one emergency to another. So, so it's sort of a, a dharma, a path of service that, to be involved in an emergency. So, but the cosmic false flag that I want to talk about is the crown jewel of the secrecy that was hatched in the 50s that led to Eisenhower losing control of these programs. And no president since that time has had full operational access control. They've had knowledge, but not control, over these rogue elements. So now we're 60 years into a period where these operations have run amok, so much so, much so that it has become an existential threat to life on Earth. And this is something we have to understand how, what the modus operandi is. What is, are the means for achieving this goal? And I was asked today by a gentleman I was meeting with, he says, when do you think they might do this? I say they began in 1950-something. It's already happened. It's already happened. The false flag has already happened. Now, not the crescendo moment, not the, the final act, all right? But acts one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, have already transpired. What do I mean by that? What I mean is these operations figured out that the psychological warfare value of this subject was such that they could set up events that are completely hoaxed beginning in the 50s and 60s that would convince people that those events were of extraterrestrial origin, alien, when they were not. And so blur the lines between the actual ET activity and the human stagecraft, as it's called, that most people, including people at the White House, wouldn't know the difference. 
And I began speaking of this in the 90s, those of you who are around, I see Ricky there and a few others who are around the 90s, I began speaking about this and I would often say, was it, is it real or is it Memorex? You know, the old commercial for Memorex tapes when there used to be tapes and not digital. And uh, the problem is, who is doing a test, an assay, to see whether it's fool's gold or real gold? The problem is certainly not UFO subculture and certainly not the media. No one in government I know, for the most part, has a clue. Even mid-level people, functionaries, within the majority intelligence committee, MAGIC, M-A-J-I-C, that runs these operations, do not know about this. Okay, Majestic, it's MAGIC, M-A-J, okay, the Majority Intelligence Committee, M-A-J-I-C. That's on the NRO document, that's the first document that's in the brief that went to Obama via Podesta, the campaign chairman for Hillary, or the former presidential candidate, Hillary, and also to um, Mr. Trump uh, this past summer. So we try to stay ahead of the curve. And we saw this coming. So one of the, we can talk about this later, that's conventional politics, boring, but <laughs> important. But oh, all right, but you have to deal with it. Now, <laughs> these false flag operations, and I do like the term deceptive indication and warning, very military, very precise. By the way, you mentioned that to anyone who's in counterintelligence and military intelligence, they're going to know what it means. Why? Because this is nothing new. Do you think this is the first time this has happened? You ever heard of something called the Vietnam War? How many people heard of Vietnam War? <laughs> well, I was talking to a college graduate not long ago who never heard of Watergate or President Nixon. So, All right, so there was something called the Vietnam War, and nobody reads anymore. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and during that period, we were, we were of course, first we, wanted, we had, you know, some... Uh, advisors in there. Kennedy wanted to pull us out, was assassinated. Uh, Johnson was reluctant to expand, and so they hoaxed an event, or exaggerated an event, called the Gulf of Tonkin incident. So get your history books open, but then you can Google it. This is mainstream stuff, not conspiracy theory. And the Gulf and Tonkin, basically, what we did, we hoaxed or, and exaggerated the attack on our ships in the Gulf of Tonkin, there near Vietnam, so that it would cause outrage in the public, outrage in Congress, and it stampeded President Johnson into vastly expanding our presence in Vietnam. Which, of course, enriched, guess who? The military-industrial-financial-gang-bankster complex. So, trillions of dollars are at stake here. So, and it happened to cost 58,000 American lives and probably a, several million Southeast Asian lives on a misadventure that was completely based on a hoaxed or an exaggerated event. You ever heard of something called 9-11? Who was alive when that happened? Any children here not alive? I've talked to some people. Well, when 9-11 happened, um, I don't want to go too far into this, except to say I have a gentleman who was the third highest ranking man at the Naval Research Labs, 
who prior to 9-11 in the Vice President's office, the pres Vice President Cheney's, saw all the plans for 9-11 prior to it occurring. He's deceased, since I'm, I'm talking about it now, I did not talk about it for years. And he was told, you know, I used to stay at my home. He said, look, you know, I was told my wife and my children, my grandchildren would be killed along with me if I ever mentioned this. He took it to his grave, gave me the information. God bless him, Richard Foch, Rick Foch, who was a very high-ranking scientist, an aerospace uh, figure in the uh, Naval Research Labs, which is the biggest Department of Defense lab. So when 9-11 happened, which was about four or five months after the 2001 uh, disclosure event, where we had hundreds of thousands of people contacting Congress to hold hearings on this issue, which of course when 9-11 happened, that fell way to the back burner very quickly. And uh, they then said, well, we gotta go get those guys in Afghanistan. Then they did something else, another false flag. They concocted false intelligence, yellow cake, remember the story, the story of yellow cake, uranium, out of Africa, they made up all these stories. And they put poor Colin Powell up before the UN holding a vial of anthrax and other biological and chemical weapons saying that uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq had these. He did not. And he was put up there thinking that he was being provided accurate intelligence when he was not. And there are people on the inside who have come forward saying that they knew that that intelligence was wrong or very likely wrong. But based on that, we went into Iraq, where we are still embroiled, blew up that whole area of the world. Now we have ISIS. And this was all planned and known with malice aforethought. So we don't have to reach back thousands of years of with Trojan horses and machinations of Machiavellian uh, psychopaths who have been militarists over the, uh, in the course of human history. We only need gaze back from Vietnam to today to see the extent to which these false flag operations, hoaxed events, exaggerated threats can stampede a populace and the Congress and the presidency into very dangerous and bad decisions. Now, the mother load, the, the, the sort of the crown jewel of that kind of event is what has been planned assiduously since the 1950s. And that is a threat from outer space that is alien that would unite the world around a military junta, a militarism, that would put all of humanity together but against one or more extraterrestrial races. Now that plan, which they came up with in the 1950s, has been very carefully rolled out. And as you know from uh, my friend uh, Carol Rosen, who was Werner von Braun, the man who invented uh, the, you know, the, the rocket for Adolf Hitler, the V2 rocket, and who then was brought in under Operation Paperclip, by the OSS into our intelligence community and into our aerospace program after World War II. She said that on his deathbed, he said, look, you know, first we would, well, they had this plan, there would be the Cold War, when we could have had peace with the Soviet Union. Then there would be nations of concern and global terrorism, 
This we put out prior to 9-11, by the way. Then they would pull out the big one, and that is the threat from outer space. And it's all a lie. And that's what he kept saying, it's all a lie. And now when uh, Carol Rosen first told me that, I said, yes, I know that. He, she said, you know about this already? I said, yes, I learned about this in 1993 and 1994. And she said, well, what are we gonna do? I said, well, what can we do? We have to expose it. We have to expose the big lie. And if we do that, perhaps we can fulfill what the Who said when they had the famous song, we won't be fooled again. But it turns out we were fooled again. They were singing about the Vietnam War, of course. Um, everybody know that song, we won't be fooled again? I'm not a good singer. Anyway, <laughs> but I went to go see them, actually, in Atlanta when I was an 18-year-old, and they sung, sang that song. And it was very interesting because everyone thought, well, we're going to learn that lesson in Vietnam. We forgot it. And we had Iraq, and we forgot it. So they let a certain amount of time goes by, the population becomes complacent, we have a very short-term memory on such things, and then they move another one forward. The reason this one is the big one that has been very well planned, and what I'm going to share tonight is going to ruin some very big plans if it's taken seriously. So what I'm telling you is extraordinarily dangerous. I mean, this is, if you were to rank this on a scale of 1 to 10, of sensitive, compartmented intelligence, information, this is a, as high as it goes, 10. Now, I've had it confirmed, and it's going to be in our movie, Unacknowledged. And by the way, all of you who've contributed that, thank you very much, is going forward well. We have to have it finished in about a month, and then released late winter, early spring 2017. So, one of the people that's going to be in this movie is an Air Force Office of Special Investigations counterintelligence officer who confirms the false flag. Name, rank, serial number. Confirms the military's involvement in staging the abductions of humans, making it look alien. Confirms that he carried bags of cash to people in the mainstream media to influence st stories and coverage of this issue. And that's not the only data point we have. My, 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 the key thing to understand here, I'm, I'm discussing all of this because I don't know how much time we have. We, you know, and, and releasing a full-length feature film takes some time. But this needs to come, get out now because we have a new president coming in. That's why I'm here. And it, it's rolling down the track. This plan is on track. Now, when they began to discover and I want to put this into three categories. You have assets that are material, stagecraft, and I, let's call these advanced aircraft of man-made origin, all right? Um, and I'm going to show you some tonight, and it will blow your mind, and it should. But are, you know, things like this, man-made anti-gravity, going all the way back to the late 50s and 60s. Triangular, disc, boomerang, etc. I suspect one of the world's experts on that issue is in the audience today, and I want to acknowledge him, by the way, 
Michael Schratt, who spent decades studying this and has put together by far the most comprehensive dossier and research that I have ever seen on the issue. And that's why he, he's here in the audience. Thank you, Michael. Now, what you need to understand is the gentleman I refer to and, and, and other people have confirmed uh, this time period to me, that around October 1954, we attained gravity control. So gravity control meaning uh, electromagnetic systems that affect uh, an object so it becomes seemingly weightless, levitates, and, co and, and co corrects for gravity. Now, that research actually began with T. Townsend Brown and others in the 20s, if you look into this. And the Kolosky-Frost experiment in Germany and others were using very high voltage, high-frequency uh, high systems at certain hertz, cycles per second, that would cause a change in the atomic structure and the magnetic field in such a way that you could essentially cancel mass. Okay, so without boring people with a physics lesson, if you make something close to massless, no weight, but weight is different from mass, massless, then you can accelerate it at enormous speeds with very little power. And it can go right-hand turns, go up and down, and if you can control for the interior at 1G, in other words, one gravitational field, then you can go at 100,000 miles per hour, make a right-hand turn, and your brains don't come out of your ears, which was what would happen in a jet aircraft. So that work was being done in, in open source and then classified projects since the late 20s. The secret weapon that we had was the atomic bomb. The secret weapon Adolf Hitler was working on was this. Okay. And the so-called Nazi bell, and, the, and the, it, they never got it stabilized. Now, so it would lift up and move around. We have video footage of it. It'll be in the film, actual footage. However, they never got it stable enough to do a lot with it. So Werner von Braun, Hermann Oberth, and others who'd worked at Pinatubo and these other facilities for, for the Germans in World War II were brought into, instead of being executed, like many Nazis were, they were brought into our intelligence community, into our aerospace community. And some of them, unfortunately, took it over from inside. So in a sense, we're living through the Fourth Reich. We defeated World War II, was the Third Reich, Nazis, but they learned, instead of clumsily stumbling around doing it that way, they went subterranean. So the globe today is a Fourth Reichian fascist order. Now, I say this with no pleasure, and I am not speaking hyperbole. And that is the problem. It's a very huge problem. And there are all kinds of actors and players that have glommed on to that agenda. A bizarre uh, collection of people from different walks of life and different agendas. We'll get into this later. But the secrecy around this issue has only been partial. 
they have been uh, wanting a certain acculturation around UFOs and ETs for the purpose of uh, having the public think that it could be true, but they don't really know what it is. So right now, more than half the public over this longitudinal, long-term psychological propaganda warfare program launched in the 50s believe UFOs are real. They believe there's intelligent life in the universe. But that's about where the, the, the granular knowledge ends. There's not a lot of granular knowledge, detailed knowledge of what all this is. And the truth is, is that this area of anti-gravity, let's call it, for pop culture usage, you know, EMGs, electromagnetic gravitics, gravity control, this became uh, the focus of the aerospace industry and actually was reported open source in aerospace journals in the late 40s and early 50s, and then it went all black. This is a documented fact. Why did it go black? Because they finally figured out how to master it and they didn't need to have more people joining in. So they wanted to sh close off that discussion. So in October 1954, gravity control was mastered and we began to build various prototypes of what the public would call UFOs. And some were made to simulate the shape, appearance, and uh, motion of an extraterrestrial vehicle. Because what better way to confuse people than to have something that looks almost the same. Is it gold? Is it fool's gold? Is it real? Is it Memorex? Get where I'm going here? This is, this is how the spy masters operate. And luckily for them, and unfortunately for us, with the absence of the fourth estate and independent science and independent oversight from the public interest, the commonwealth, um, they've been able to get away with enormous deception since the 50s. So I call those the, the assets that are material, physical craft. Now that's one category, we'll return to this. There's another category, and this is more difficult to understand, and that is electromagnetic assets. And these include electromagnetic systems that could optically, like a very advanced hologram, simulate an event, electromagnetic systems that have been called popularly electronic warfare systems that are psychotronic and radionic that interface with consciousness and thought, and electromagnetic systems that can affect large segments of the population when targeted. Now these began to be developed quite uh, in, in an advanced fashion by the 40s and 50s. And by 1956, uh, it had been accomplished to the point of state of the art. So about a year after I was born. And then the other asset, the third category, is human, human intelligence, human assets. And these are folks who, some wittingly, some unwittingly, have been provided with a script and experiences that they honestly believe are real, but that have been programmed. 
and are like very advanced consciousness holographic experiences. If you will, electronic hallucinations. And we'll get into this also. This, this gets into some issues that are going to make me very unpopular for some folks. I don't care. I and mean, we don't have time for that. I don't care if you like me, love me, hate me. It, it, the, people got to know the truth on this. So um, I really don't. I'm not running for mayor of crazy town. I just, want <laughs> I'm, I'm just want the truth out because we can't afford this childishness. Now, so those three categories in general are what we're going to focus on. First, let's talk about the uh, air forms, let's call them, material assets that are being made by Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, uh, Northrop Grumman, my uncle's old company, um, Boeing, Phantom Works, etc. And I have many, many people who have worked in these uh, aerospace programs, also at EG&G here. I mean, we're in Las Vegas, in the Nellis Range, so-called Area 51's up the road. It's an old facility, but we'll talk about which facilities are key. Um, but those, those military and corporate contractors have always had compartmented operations dealing with this going back to after World War II. Now, the, some of the material that was being done by uh, the Nazis with the so-called Nazi bell that was anti-gravity, but it was not well controlled and they hadn't developed it well by the end of the war. We detonated the first atomic bomb first. Began to get more and more perfected and as I mentioned, by 1954, gravity control was attained. At that point, we had a, uh, a race to see how, we could, uh, these, how many of these forms we could develop. And the research between the mid-40s and the mid-50s was augmented, assisted, or propelled forward by the reverse engineering and study in a separate compartment of so-called uh, extraterrestrial materiel. I'm referring now to things that some of you have heard about, like certainly the Roswell crash, Kingman, Arizona event. Uh, there are others that have happened. That, and these objects, which were downed with electronic warfare systems, they didn't just fly in and crash in an electrical storm. That's a myth. You don't go through interstellar space and come into the atmosphere of Earth and, oops, I can't navigate and then just suddenly crash, and it happens to be right by the only atomic bomb squadron in the world in Roswell, New Mexico. That was the only, 509th bomber squadron was the only place in the world at the time of that event. And the interstellar civilizations were worried about what is going on on Earth, because when we detonated those bombs, it was picked up by them, and they came, and they're here, <laughs> and they're worried, and they should be worried. So that's what opened up the modern era of UFO extraterrestrial activity. And this is why you need to call this what it is. There's two things here. There's UFO is a sort of a general phrase. It just means an unidentified flying object. Well, it's unidentified only to people who are not informed. They don't fly in any normal sense of the aer aerodynamics flying of a plane. 
but they are objects. So the only true part of the word UFO is O, and the rest is an obfuscation, so a, a blurring of the truth. But if you use that pop culture term of UFO, there are two types, man-made ones here, interstellar extraterrestrial ones here. And you can tell the difference if you get up close enough, and if you know what you're looking for, and we'll talk about that. The ones that were being developed by these early aerospace and research efforts were, were then uh, benefited by studying the extraterrestrial objects that we began to learn how to use electromagnetic scalar longitudinal systems. Now, I'm not going to get into a big physics discussion here except to say the light you're seeing here is in a wave like this, right? So you have a wavelength, and so you have all kinds of spectra, infrared, ultraviolet, visible spectra, different. A laser is coherent light, so a green laser is all the green, and it's coherently propagating, okay? A longitudinal or scalar electromagnetic signal is actually not a wave, but a point and a line. And it actually can propagate at multiples of the speed of light, of, of the waveform of light. So the waveform of light is what we call the speed of light, but there's this other type. So that began to be studied also in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, began to be weaponized into systems, and by 1947 or so, they began to have, and I use this word cautiously, successful deployments of it so that it would hit an interstellar vehicle, interfere with its electronics, and have it crash. Now, I know men personally who have operated those systems up to and including uh, in, in recently, in the last few years, at, at facilities at various places around the globe. So when you begin to hear that beginning from the 40s until not that long ago, there were multiple crash retrievals of these objects they, it wasn't because these interstellar civilizations who are you know, running around with IQs of four to 600, so I'm like a Down syndrome child, and, uh, but <laughs> they're you know, very advanced. The, it, they were running into the deployment of these systems, and they were based all over, and they began to be based all over the planet. And by the 1960s, they had successfully propagated those around the globe in enough locations covertly that they could track and target an extraterrestrial vehicle, hit it, and have it become disabled. Now, obviously not every ET object that appears has that happen, so it's not like it happens every nanosecond, but it has happened dozens and perhaps hundreds of times. I met with an officer in the Air Force, uh, in the Army, uh, who was at Port Huachuca out here in Arizona, Army Intelligence Headquarters, who had been in an underground facility um, in the 70s where there were nine extraterrestrial vehicles when op and autopsied bodies that were in uh, storage there. So, and that's just one facility, and that was 40-some years ago. Fort Huachuca, it's in near Tombstone, <laughs> ironically, Arizona. So these facilities began to be developed that are all underground, and they were studying the extraterrestrial material. That operation was very separate from the conventional, let's call it, 
extraordinary anti-gravity research going on in other operations. There are very few points of contact. So this is where you get into a complex understanding of TSSCI, Top Secret Special Compartment in Information or Intelligence. And the compartmentalization is very, very specific. And there could be people working on, say, and gravity control systems for the Lockheed Skunk Works, but they weren't allowed to talk to and didn't know anything about the people studying the extraterrestrial materials, but there would be a few points of contact that would bridge it over. All right, but very few, very tightly compartmented. That's how that is structured. And I have had the privilege of interviewing people who worked on both sides. Now, when you begin to consider then, we've had over 60 years, 62 years, and trillions of dollars in black budget unacknowledged special access funding, USAP, unacknowledged special access, completely black, funding of this kind of research and development, both on extraterrestrial materiel and on other conventional, and the then augmentation of the man, the conventional, anti-gravity, human with the extraterrestrial study material, you can begin to realize that what's out there that humans control is fearsome and awesome. And unfortunately, to the lay person or to the average general, admiral, or president is indistinguishable from an extraterrestrial object in their mind. 